Well, good morning, everyone. My name is JB with NBW Ministries, proclaiming the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message from my studio beneath the sky, nestled in the tall timbers of Colorado. It is Thursday, July 27th, 2023. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, today, we've got Dr. Brad Maston on from Fort Collins Bible Church and Fort Collins uh, Bible Seminary. And uh, we are going to be talking about what believers should be doing as we wait for the return of the Lord. You know, I, I, when I think about waiting on the Lord, uh, that's not always an easy thing to do, is it? We are anxious, we're eager, we're we're wanting to uh, things to get better. Uh, sometimes, even though we shouldn't, we get a little nervous about, uh, you know, the state of affairs in our uh, rapidly deteriorating world. Uh, and uh, yet the Bible addresses that. So we're going to bring Brad on here in just a moment. Can't wait to to dive into that topic. want to mention a couple of uh, quick announcements here. We've had a great week already. Looking forward to uh, to today's podcast, and we've got one more tomorrow and one Friday. I want to call your attention to a couple of resources that were posted this week already. First of all, my new devotional is called The Hero of Bible Prophecy. The Hero of Bible Prophecy, and that went live on Wednesday, or on Tuesday, I guess it was. So I encourage you to check that out. It's a short read, and I know it'll be an encouragement to you as we think about the ultimate uh, essence of Bible prophecy, uh, rather than uh, getting all lost in in the weeds. Uh, and then, of course, uh, we've got several podcasts already this week. We had Lucas Doremus on Monday to talk about the enigmatic parables of the kingdom. Uh, episode three of Dr. Hickson Answers Your Questions was posted on Monday as well. Tuesday night was Prophecy Night. Uh, and uh, what a great uh, discussion that was about all of the different world organizations that seem to be popping up and how that could be a sign of the times. And we talked especially about WorldCoin, Sam Altman's new initiative. And uh, wow, that ought to get your attention uh, if you uh, if you know anything about where we're headed with the one world government. So check out Prophecy Night, the videos available or the audio podcast. Uh, Wednesday, yesterday, we had our good friend Randy on to talk about world events update, and uh, he did not disappoint. He may have scared us to death, but he didn't disappoint, that's for sure. Great uh, show yesterday. Uh, this morning, I was privileged to be on Stand Up for the Truth Radio with Mary Danielson. We talked about Bible paradoxes and antinomies and, and how things in Scripture might appear to be contradictory, but in reality, they're just beautiful pictures of God's grace. And uh, when properly understood in context, it really strengthens our faith. So check that podcast that just posted uh, a couple of hours ago. And uh, But today, I want to start with a scripture reference that I want to bring uh, Brad Maston on. We are looking at While We Wait, While We Wait, and a passage that comes to my mind often and has been very meaningful to me through the years, going back to my younger days, uh, is Proverbs 27. Now, Proverbs 27, of course, was written by King David, uh, and this is the final two verses in this psalm. And listen to what he says. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Well, that's one of those passages that it's heartwarming. It's encouraging. If if no less than King David, a man after God's own heart, found himself uh, coaching himself to wait on the Lord, then certainly we can too. But it's also one of those passages that's easier said than done. And uh, as we wait on the Lord, eagerly anticipating his return, uh, what are we supposed to be doing? How can we handle ourselves? How shall we then live, as uh, Frank Francis Schaeffer once uh, put it? And I can think of no one better to kind of help us dive into those topics than my good friend, uh, champion of grace, stalwart of the faith, Dr. Brad Maston. Welcome, Brad. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me. You know, I don't think I, I can afford such a generous intro. That is very <laughs> kind of you to do. So, so well, I, I speak only the truths. I speak only the truth. So, no, you are a dear friend. You've been very, very kind to me and to our ministry through the years. We've had the chance to speak at Fort Collins Bible Church a number of times at conferences and different occasions. And you and I have also shared the platform at different conferences. And uh, one of the things I love about your ministry and your teaching is that 
uh, as we all should be, you really strive to be a biblicist first, and uh, and that means that you're not afraid to let the spe- scripture speak where it speaks and come up with uh, just you know interesting uh, and uh, intriguing thoughts and questions about the text that always keep us digging and keep us uh, you know going back to the Word of God and connecting the dots. And so I'm really excited about what you're going to talk about today. Uh, while we wait, so take it away. Well. Thank you so much. I, you know, this is a topic that I think is is really important because as we get exposed to greater and greater evidence of the conspiracy, evidence of these disconcerting things, these difficult things, even really terrifying things from a human perspective, we not only have to deal with our own thoughts, but we also encounter others, you know, as we want to share about or talk about uh, what's going on, we wind up uh, causing the same kind of variety of responses in those who we speak, both uh, from the worldly perspective or non-Christian perspective, as well as the Christian perspective. And might I say, what a wonderful uh, opportunity for evangelism it's been as the as as Satan has is so clearly stepped out of the closet, if if we might use the expression, and come you know full bore or, or very publicly on the scene in terms of his plan and what he's revealed, and so. As we deal with that, right, we have to ask, what is it we're meant to do in the meantime? In fact, I have a very vivid memory of the the day that uh, that I think it was the day of the January sixth activity, and um, I remember tuning in to a special live stream that you put out. It might have been your regular Wednesday night service, but you did a, a, an excellent job of of explaining some basics and some background and, and, and some theological principles that were really meaningful. It was a really comforting message, an encouraging message. But then you opened it up to questions, and someone said, "What should we do?" <laughs> it, was, it was such a beautiful moment because I think we were all asking the same question, like. <laughs> I mean, is it time to pack up the tents and get up into the hill? Like, what do we do? Yeah, you know, that was that was an interesting uh, choice of words. You said the January 6th uh, incident. Uh, I think what you meant was the the uh, violent insurrection where a bunch of grandmas wearing MAGA hats tried to overthrow the government. Wow. Uh, that's the way the, that's the way the media describes it. But uh, and no. nearly succeeded, right? Yeah, and nearly <laughs> succeeded. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. We were on the cusp of just being utterly destroyed by these patriots. You know, MAGA lovers. Uh, no, just just kidding. But yeah, well, that was that was quite a day for sure. It was. It was an interesting. Um, yeah. So all that has has really something that has continued to cause me to stew because as we talk about these issues, both you know in church and outside of church with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and also around the world, I notice that we see some similar reactions. If we could be so simplistic as to group them, and particularly when we look at the world's response, I think the three major things that we see is one: the tendency to either ignore or deny it. Right, just to 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 pretend like it's not there, or actually deny that there is a satanic conspiracy, deny that Satan is has a foothold in this world, or he's even the god of this world. And it's weird. You get people who will theologically affirm that, but when they see it in practice, they will just vehemently, you know, de- deny, even become angry. So um, the second action I see is the is the we see it, but we and we prepare to hide. Right. So it's it's you know the prep answer, the prepper answer to everything, and particularly when it's the unsaved, it's like, they're just asking, how can we survive? Because the worst thing that can happen to them in their mind is death, physical death. And um, obviously, the, we have a, a slightly different perspective as, as Christians. And then the third is the see see what's going on and then prepare to fight, right? Become immediately unctuous and, and want to have this incredible uh, resistance against or battle against, or we're going to overthrow or we're going to rebel in some way. So those are the three main actions that I see. Um, and I would really be interested to hear if you you have experienced any other types of responses or if that's the main. Just- yeah, they, that, talking about the world's response. And just right. to, to reiterate what you just said, three different responses from, from the world. One is to either ignore or deny it. And that's a big one. You know, a lot of people are just blinded. You know, that's mm-hmm. why one of my favorite verses is, you know, First Thessalonians 5, uh, five and six. And I, I often uh, quote that or inscribe that in books, in my books, uh, Spirit of the Antichrist, when I sign them, uh, because it reminds us that we're not of the night, we're of the day. So we need to be awake. You know, we should not be asleep. So uh, a lot of the world is just oblivious. They're blinded, they're deceived. Uh, but then you're right, part of the world also just denies it. Like they're, it's not, you know, not that they just stick their head in the sand. They actually will get quite animated about it you know think about all the truth about the pandemic 
you know, or the scamdemic, as we call it, right? Uh, you know, when you try to explain to people, uh, as I did many times, I'm sure you probably did as well, is showing, you know, peer-reviewed journal articles going back 100 years, you know, how useless the masks are or how dangerous the vaccine is when you show the CDC and FDA's own statistics reporting the adverse effects, and people just get angry. How dare you? You know, I remember one lady uh, confronted me in a UPS store. Um, my son was one of my oldest son was with me at the time he was home from college and uh, I wasn't wearing a mask. And she she just out of nowhere in front of a people in line just goes, you know, it's going to be your fault if I end up in the hospital. Don't you care about other people? And I didn't handle it very well. It's one of the few times that I really did not handle it graciously in the number of times during that whole time when you were, they were you know, confronted by people that disagreed with you. But uh, I had to go back and apologize to my son later and say, ah, I didn't really handle that too well. But anyway, you know, she was angry. I mean, and, you know, I... I I, I just I, I felt like saying, you know, I'm, you're going to put me in the hospital with your vaccine shedding or something, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, you know, she was she was a perfect example of that. So, as you said, they ignore or ignore the, deny the truth. Some people see what's happening with this changing world. They may not connect the dots that it's a Luciferian conspiracy, but they they know they need to be preparing. So they're scared. And fear is the driving motivator. Uh, and like you said, because they're not believers, they're especially fearful because they don't have hope. Uh, and then the third one uh, you said was they see and prepare to fight. And those are the ones that, you know, we we really worry a little bit about because they are the ones that want civil war. They want a fight. They're looking for a fight. You know, they're gathering out in their compounds and in their woods and gather, you know, getting all their weapons together and they're ready to let's just storm you know the the, the white house and overthrow biden and that kind of thing so so yeah those are uh, i i couldn't have said it better those are i think excellent uh reactions uh you know from the world um especially that first one i think our goal or our you know one of our passions at not by works these last few years has been to wake people up and that means believers and unbelievers. And if they're, if you can wake them up to the reality of the Luciferian conspiracy, then if they're not a believer, it provides an opening to share the gospel. And if they are a believer, it gives them a biblical perspective to handle uh, the end times uh, prophecies. Absolutely. Well, and I think it'd be fun because, as as we pointed out, this is mostly examining the world's response, but we can also evaluate these from a Christ Christian perspective and say, should this be, uh, is this a good biblical response to the thing? And I think starting with ignore the truth, it's a, there's a tragic amount of ignoring and ignorance in the body of Christ, as you and I mm -hmm. uh, both know, an unwillingness to even entertain or talk about the possibility. And as you uh, you know, I've pointed out several times in the past, a lot of the time it's cloaked in a sort of false spirituality, right? Like, mm -hmm. well, isn't God sovereign? Shouldn't we? We shouldn't have to worry about that at all. Let's not even think about it. Let's not even pay attention uh, and, and, and try to go about our business as best as possible, which um, again, there's, there's, uh, a modicum of wisdom. We should go about our business. That is the business that the Lord has given us, but it doesn't mean that we should uh, be uh, turn a blind eye to what's going on around us. And, um, you know, one of the Proverbs that jumps to mind immediately is one that you've, you quote frequently and that you've burned into my mind in a very positive way. It's uh, Proverbs 22, three, it says a prudent man foresees evil and hides himself and, but a simple pass on and are punished. Right. And I think another translation says prudent man sees evil coming and he ducks. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you pointed out. I love that, that imagery, right. That we are meant to have an eye on what's going on in the world and understand uh, what, what what Satan is doing and where he's at in his game plan for in order for us to respond uh, most meaningfully, right? Uh, and we've seen this throughout church history, in fact, right, where uh, in certain situations where oppression is greatest, believers will take a more circumspect view on how to represent Christ within that world. So they don't just ignore it and pretend like it's not happening. Of course, they did not, in many cases, right, historically, we're not afforded that liberty. Now we kind of are, right? In today's world as it sits now, I think most American Christians particularly can just kind of pretend like it's not happening and, and float along. Um, but I don't think that's responsibly uh, looking at what's going on around us. In fact, right, Christ himself says you can discern the the, the weather, but you can't discern the times, right? Yeah. So there's this, 
this need for us. And in fact, I would argue that it is sinful to be ignorant or ignore the truth when you have the ability to do otherwise. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and to go back to Proverbs 22, 3, uh, a prudent man foresees evil. Evil there in the Hebrew doesn't necessarily mean only moral evil, and there's certainly plenty of that going around, but from these Luciferian elite, but it just means danger, trouble, uh, calamity. In other words, you know, a wise person is going to see that coming, and then as you paraphrased, you know, duck, they're going to get out of the way. They see the train coming down the track, they're going to say, oh, I probably ought to get off the track. And <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, I think that that's a great uh, principle. But yeah, you know, there's a reason why the etymologically the words ignorant and ignoramus are you know related because you know you you really have to be an ignoramus to be not paying attention and ignoring uh, the truth in in times like these. Well, and again, it, to me, it's a it's a weird theological ignorance for most many Bible believing Christians, right? Because there is no question about the, the 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 reality, the existence, the personality or personhood of Satan, that he has a plan, that he has a goal, that he's active and working. There's no question that all of this stuff is going on. So to um, you know, again, to to shut our eyes, I think brings us to a place that is very familiar to us as we read the Gospels. You know, Isaiah 6.10 says, make the hearts of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes and let their eye, uh, let their, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. And uh, I believe that this has in large part to do with, especially as you get into the Gospel period, a sort of judicial blindness, right? They'd refuse to see Christ. They'd refuse to see uh, the truth of what God was doing. And then uh, he then judicially continued to allow them or even uh, act upon them so that they would continue in that blindness and that hardness of heart. Um, and Isaiah 44, 18, similarly says that they, they, they do not know nor understand for he has shut their eyes. He, God, has shut their eyes so that they cannot see in their hearts so that they cannot understand. So I believe that if we cho continually choose to run from the truth, that there will be a, a sort of complementary hardening to the truth, right? And so there's a huge... Um, uh, a huge principle that is is worrisome to me. If the body of Christ continues to close our eyes and continues to shut our hearts up to what's really going on, uh, that we become less capable to understand or to see in the future, right? I think it was a, a very apropos example and said, hey, if you've ever wondered if your family would uh, have gone along with things during the Holocaust, then just examine how you behaved during the COVID crisis. And you've got oh, your yeah. answer. That's right. profound. Yeah. And we see, uh, to your point, we see again and again in Israel's history, the number of times God warned them and said, hey, don't do this. No, come do this. Do it this way. Don't do it that way. But finally, after they keep pressing, he's like, okay, you know, if that's what you really want, I'll, you know, I'll let you have it. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and, and they regretted it. And so, yeah, you're right. The, the, the hardening, uh, you know, of the heart really is a dangerous thing because if you ignore the truth long enough, then it becomes harder and harder to even see it to begin with. And to me, it's surrendering our part in the spiritual battle that's taking place, right? Second Peter uh, 3, 5, and 6, speaking, of course, of non-believers, says this, they uh, willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world then existed, perished, being flooded with water. Now, this is obviously talking about exactly what we're talking about, uh, the prophecy, the coming of Christ, the future, and the resistance of the worldlings not to understand. But I think we as believers also can willfully forget that and assume that this life is just about our pleasure, right? It's just about getting, collecting enough stuff, having enough fun, enjoying, you know, work and family and life, which again, those are all good things to do. A vacation's a beautiful thing under the right context, but it's not the point. It's not the purpose. We are here in the midst of a spiritual battle uh, for souls, right? For, for, for the glory of God, we are a part of and we stand upon the completed, finished work of Christ. And we have an active part to play in what's going on in the world. And there's nothing I believe the enemy would like more than for us to be willfully ignorant or willfully forget where it is that we have been placed and for what purpose we have been placed there uh, in order to serve and glorify him, mm. right? 
So this to me is is the most tragic part about ignoring the truth is once we ignore where the battle lines, if you like, are drawn, once we decide to be ignorant and, and just imagine in any mm. you know physical military conflict being the soldier or worse yet being uh, under the command of the soldier who refuses to be informed as to what's going on in the war. You could find you could find yourself in any number of compromising situations, but certainly you're not going to be productive towards the goal of your uh, you know, of your nation or of your country, of your side, whatever it is. So to me, this is a really dangerous, not just a, ah, it's benign. Hey, they're not playing, right? We're, we're in the game. They're, they're out of the game. This game is a big deal. Mm-hmm. In fact, go so far as to say it's not a game. It is uh, the ultimate reality of the nature and purpose of all creation. That is to bring glory to God. Yeah, so and it, it, it's such a sad and empty place to be too. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it, it's like Paul said, uh, where I think it was First uh, Corinthians 15, if in this life only we have hope, we are of all men most pitiable, right? Now, of course, he's talking about the future resurrection, but that's really connected here to God's end times plan, that there is a future, there is a hope. And uh, if you're so focused on the here and the now that you ignore the the setting of the stage, like you quoted Jesus saying in Matthew 16, the the signs of the times, uh, then you know you are uh, you're you're really in a in an empty place. I mean, what? How much joy can this life really bring us? It's empty, right? If we don't have our perspective tied to our heavenly citizenship and the you know. Uh, like Paul said, set your mind on things above or our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly anticipate or eagerly await the return of Christ. So, yeah, it's a, it's a dangerous place to be for sure, but it's also a sad place. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Robbed of our, our true you know, purpose and, and place in this. And I think the other side, again, this is also pointed towards unbelievers. So how much of the more shameful that believers would do it, but uh, or would be a part of it. But Romans 1, 18 and 19 says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And I think that that suppression of the truth is another thing, again, of the reality around us is another way in which we can react in order to try to ignore, right? We're just not going to, mm, we're just not going to talk. We're just not going to mention it. We're just not going to, you know, uh, discuss what is going on and, and try to, you know, happily exist over here in our head or worse yet make compromises, right, with the world and say, well, it, it exists, so it must not be that bad. But that suppression of the truth is awful. Yeah. And, you know, I know where you're going next because we talked about your kind of the, the general flow of thought of where you're going. And so to prepare for that, I want to share a quick little anecdote. Uh, someone uh, that I was talking to one time, this was years ago, uh, as I was studying and researching the Luciferian conspiracy, they made the comment to me, uh, and I love this person dearly, and so it was kind of disheartening to hear them say it, but they said, you know what, uh, I there's nothing we can do about it, so I'm just not going to look behind the curtain. I'd rather not know what's behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. And But the fact of the matter is, this is exactly what you're talking about today. There are things we can be doing and it can be very dangerous to ignore, as you said. And, you know, we need believers to look behind that curtain, not just for knowledge sake, but because once you're armed with that knowledge, then you can do something about it. You can prepare. You're not going to be caught flat footed, right? Mm. And remembering that God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Mm -hmm. We are not short or shy of the resources in order to fulfill the the mission which God has given us. And mm-hmm. again, I encounter this very frequently. People will tell me things that even, again, folks I love will say, you know, I appreciate it. I think you're right, but it stresses me out. Yeah. Oh, it, it saddens me that it stresses you out. I understand. I get it because it's, <laughs> it's a bunch of negative information. I, you know, it's, it's watching the news even, right, can be sort of a dizzying and, and defeating affair. Of course, that's all <laughs> propaganda and, and mixed with, ugh, it's just gross. So I can even understand pulling back from mainstream media in general. Um, but pulling away from recognizing what's going on is is a foolishness, especially considering, well, uh, there will certainly be losses from a human viewpoint, right? In this phase, we ultimately do win. Right. Mm-hmm. This is not something that we should look at. And um, again, why do we ignore it? We ignore it maybe because of a, a lack of faith, but probably more so because of that fear. It's a way of coping with fear. It's just yeah. not there, right. Yeah. To 
denying the uh, the diagnosis altogether. So I, I think that transitions well into the next point, which is um, we can see in prepare to hide. So the world right has the this idea of like, okay, so we're gonna you know it's bunkers and it's this and it's that, and so we're gonna survive whatever comes. And of course, this is built upon a um, a, a godless or a hopeless perspective in general, right? Like, well, the only thing that we do here is live. And that's the only thing that we want to keep doing is keep living. That's the primary, the highest purpose that we can come up with. So, you know, let's get up and and hide. You know, and that that idea, of course, as we're going to, as we'll see, I think has some merit, but we need to understand our final calling, our bigger calling and our bigger purpose. So I would say that wisdom, and and you could speak far more quali- in a far more qualified way to this, but wisdom is have a bug out bag. Have a have a bag that you can you know has some necessities so you can get on the road and and be away from your area if there is a reason to do so. Um, have a plan. Do do you have a place that you know you're going to be going? I mean, the EMP episode that you aired not too long ago showed us that there's a need for preparation or at least a re, have reasonable preparations. And then finally, I think you'd be a little bit foolish if you didn't have a couple weeks or even months of food supplies in your house. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, do you find people, do you come across people sometimes, uh, Brad, by the way, we're talking with Dr. Brad Maston, Fort Collins Bible Church, and uh, talking about while we wait, what should we be doing while we wait for the return of the Lord, especially in such a time as this? But do you run into people sometimes, Brad, that that think that somehow it's unspiritual or you're, show, you're evidencing a lack of faith if you store up food? <laughs> Absolutely. Isn't that a funny thing? Yeah. I, I don't get it. We see it in scripture. I mean, the, you know, first of all, it's, it's, we're commanded to be prepared. But secondly, look at Joseph. God laid it on Joseph's heart to store up food for famine. Uh, God wants us to eat. <laughs> I mean, he made us, you know, biological beings that need food. And so, uh, I think it's just the epitome of foolishness not to store up food. And, and by the way, we have, as I often mention, we have the NBW Preparedness Guide, which is a simple 12-page PDF document that's downloadable from our website. Just go to notbyworks.org on the resources tab on the left side of the homepage. If you click on that, you'll see NBW Preparedness Guide. One click, and it'll download the PDF to your phone or computer. Um, and it get, it caught, you know gives you a lot of supplies and food items and things that maybe you haven't thought about. And it's not that expensive, really, to 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 get a few extra canned goods or bags of beans. I mean, obviously, if you have the resources, you can purchase long-term storable food uh, that typically has a 20-year shelf life, and uh, you kind of put it in a closet, uh, get enough for everyone in your family for, I would say, six months is a good guide. Um, and then at least you can check that off your list. You're not going to starve if you get sequestered in your home. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I just, I think this is very pertinent, uh, you know, response here of, you know, like you said, have a bug out bag. What if you can't stay in your home? Uh, I'm going to be talking Saturday with uh, uh, Randy about uh, preparing for civil unrest and I think you need to think through a logical, organized plan, even do some dry runs of where to go, what to bring, have it ready. If you can't get out of your house in 15 minutes, there are certain scenarios where you won't be getting out at that point. Mm. I mean, I've seen it. I've seen hurricanes and evacuations and fire evacuations and things. And, you know, you're not going to, you may not have time to start thinking, oh, we're going to have to leave tomorrow. What should we do? It may be the kind of situation where you've got 15 minutes, and if you're not out by then, you're going to be caught in the, you know, in the crossfire. Mm. And that, that's just wisdom, right? That's yeah. just seeing evil coming or seeing a bad thing coming and ducking or getting out of the way. Um, on the other side, I think though we can go to the foolishness side and fail to stand for Christ. I mean, especially if it comes to an overt. Christian persecution, which again, we don't necessarily see right over the horizon, but it certainly could be there. It's happened, you know, countless times in the past throughout uh, church history, and and it's uh, certainly um, it looms in the air. Satan certainly would uh, would welcome that if he can shunt that over the you know over the over the uh, events in the coming near coming future, um, but. There's this other side of it that suggests like, oh, well, now we need to be really careful about what we say. We need really, and, and I think that there's a foolishness in failing to stand for Christ and the freedom that it has. Um, as someone once said, you know, if they did start persecuting Christians, uh, I think there'd be quite a few believers who there wouldn't be enough evidence for them to convict. 
Yeah, right? yeah, that's and that's right. tragic. I mean, <clears throat> here you and I are uh, in 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 at least reasonable awareness of the potential dangers and the possibilities, and yet we're publicly putting up everything that we can about the gospel, about the truth, about the reality of what's going on, because ultimately we're not fearful. And in fact, as uh, someone once said, as my dad said, in all wisdom, if they're going to drop a nuclear missile in the United States, I want to be right underneath it. Yeah, Rand- <laughs> Randy says that a lot. He says, uh, you know, I'd rather be right underneath it than. Uh, uh, you know, left behind with all the chaos that ensues. But uh, oh. yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it. You know, this failing to stand for Christ. You know, thankfully, and and nobody knows this better than you as a champion of grace. Uh, even if our faith wavers in those crisis moments of persecution, it doesn't affect our eternal destiny because mm-hmm. you know Christ uh, has given us eternal life, and even if we are faithless, He God you know remains faithful because He can't deny Himself, and we're His children. But boy, I, I want to hear those words: "Well done, good and faithful servant." I, I want to stand firm unto the end. I want to be an example uh, who's standing firm for Christ in the midst of others, and. You know, I don't know how far off that is, to be honest with you. I, I, more I see what's happening, the more I think we're in, if the Lord doesn't come back soon, for some really troubling times as, as Christians. I hope I'm wrong, but I, that's the way I see it going. Oh, and again, we do see it right immediately happening, right? Just by holding Christian values about marriage or about sexual immorality, specifically the homosexual issue, we're see we're starting to see an increased heat and temperature of of uh, attack upon and persecution of Christians just for saying, "Look, you do that, that's that's you, that's on you, but I won't participate in your homosexual marriage or whatever it is. Yeah. We're starting to see that and it will take, I mean, we saw again in the madness of the COVID uh, nonsense, right? The the BLM riots and all the, the chop and, or the, cha, uh, was it the Chaz or the chop in, in uh, Seattle? I mean, we yeah. saw these things occur and just immediately flip overnight. And there's no reason to think that we wouldn't see that again or couldn't see that again directed right at Christianity. Yeah, and, and a lot of that's provocateur. You know, they they send in undercover agents to to drum it up to, to try to get people, you know, to, to jump into it. Um, but yeah, it's uh I, I remember one time, you know, I don't get a lot of really hateful email. I get criticism, you know, like we all do. People disagree mm-hmm. with something I said or want to tell me their view and that kind of thing. Uh, but I did get a really, really disturbing email one time after I had spoken somewhere and I uh, talked about some transgender person who was out there saying, you have to respect me. And I said rather bluntly in this conference message, you know, I don't respect you. I love you and I want you to come to Christ, but I don't respect you, nor do I have to respect you. Well, someone wrote me an email claiming to be a Christian saying, we have to respect these people. And that was hateful of you to not respect them. And, And I'm just going, that person... You know, they're blinded if they think that we have a duty to respect sin and respect mm. sinful behavior. Uh, you know, I did not respond, but, <clears throat> you know, we've we've seen the church watered down and swept up in this tide of wokeism to the extent that now Christians really have a tough time taking a stand for what's right because they've become convinced that taking a stand for anything makes you hateful and and that's just mm-hmm. not biblical and um, even more so or as much so i should say because i think you're exactly right we want to be kind we want to be loving and because we uh, are influenced by the world's horrifying gameplay with words right changing the word tolerance to mean allowing someone to exist right to then you have to approve it that's tolerance no tolerance is i disagree with you i find it's disgusting and yet i'm gonna live in peace with you so that i can share the truth with you right and they've turned tolerance into approval and same thing with respect right the idea of showing respect for someone is such an abstract concept in in that regard and and so yeah showing respect for someone's viewpoint that's absolutely sinful of course not and so It's interesting that we get suckered in on that side, but also, again, the baiting and the bullying side is is just as much a part of it, right? The cancel culture uh, aspect of this that that causes a person to potentially, right? Uh, I mean, and, and this might seem like small beans, but someone might through Facebook have their primary connection to friends and family, right? That's so that's meaningful for them, and because they put up a single post, right, might lose that access. Yeah, as a very small yeah. example. Yeah, how sad is it that, you know, on all the interviews that we do here at Not By Works, TV and radio, it's becoming norm, the norm, that before the interview starts, 
the host or the producer, depending on who you're interacting with, will say, now here's a few topics that you can't address because we don't want to get banned from YouTube. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, don't talk about this. Don't talk about that. And of course, I'm happy to uh, comply. I'm not trying to, you know, there are plenty of issues to go around. We don't have to, you know, poke the bear all the time. Right. right. But it's just a, 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 co- a commentary on our culture that in a country that supposedly has a Second Amendment, we are now find ourselves, uh, you know, having to list off the things that we can't talk about lest we get canceled. You know, mm. sad. And- and the testimony of the early church, I think, is is meaningful, right? Uh, Acts 4, 19 through 20 says, but Peter and John, right, who'd been arrested for uh, speaking in the name of Christ and healing a person who was uh, lame or couldn't walk. He wasn't like totally lame dude, but he just couldn't, <laughs> couldn't walk. <laughs> well, he might have been a lame dude. We don't know. I've never met the guy. <laughs> he could have been absolutely a dull a bore. <laughs> but, uh, but he, uh, but they, they say in response to the leadership of Israel, right? This is both spiritual leadership and political leadership from their perspective. It says, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge, but we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Um, and then uh, later goes on uh, to say, uh, after a, a following persecutions, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then finally in, in Acts 5, 41 through 42, for they departed the presence of the council, again, same council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name and daily in the temple. And in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So here they're under overt threat of imprisonment and even execution. As we see, these are bloodthirsty people. These are people who would martyr Stephen with no fair trial. These are the these are the people who would come to, to no end to see the gospel of Jesus Christ erased and removed from the world. And what did they do? Well, they stood up. Yeah. They spoke the truth as freely as and openly and as boldly as they possibly could, knowing, as you so well pointed out, that we might have to face the consequences for that. Yeah. And Peter, this same Peter, later writes in his epistle, uh, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Uh, that's that's an attitude that we should all uh, try to uh, emulate. And so, to me, the foolishness in the worldly see and hide is the foolishness of, uh, and again, with wisdom, with preparation, but the reality is, is that during this moment, just this moment that we're recording this, we have the ability to speak up and to speak out, and we might get canceled. We might get thrown off YouTube. We might get thrown off blah, 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 but that doesn't stop us from our responsibility to speak the truth, and particularly, as as Jesus said, to make disciples of all nations while he re- allows us that time. So, uh, the idea of being buffaloed by the uh, the enemy's scare tactic and being uh, frightened or intimidated into not doing our job, not speaking the truth, not uh, engaging in this battle for the mind and for the minds of all humans uh, is, is essentially to wave the white flag. And to mm. me, that's foolishness. Oh, to yeah. me, that falls terribly short of what we're meant to do. And and I think that it's the fear of what we might lose, right? We might lose a job. We might lose a friend. We might lose a, this or that. And the question is, is do you fear man? Do you fear Satan? Or do you fear God? Because mm. if we fear God, then that is going to radically change, hopefully not the wisdom of choosing to uh, present things in the right you know, venue at the right moment to get the best audience, I guess, or to get the best response from that audience, but also... Uh, you know, not to be out o- overtly foolish, right? We don't just walk up and, like you said, poke the bear and try to get ourselves thrown in prison because we think that'll get us extra points. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, you got you to gotta be wise. Yeah. I remember going back to the pandemic uh, deal. I mean, I hated masks. I did not wear them. Uh, I, I understood the science behind it. I looked at the journal articles. I listened to the early words of the government officials who were out there, the, the, the Surgeon General, the HHS Secretary, even Fauci out there saying, whatever you do, don't wear a mask. You know, they're, they're not, they're not going to help anything against a severe acute respiratory syndrome, SARS, and we need, to, need them for our hospital personnel. So don't wear them. And then, of course, they changed on a dime. Uh, but anyway, uh, there were times when I did. 
side. I mean, obviously, if if I had to go to the doctor's appointment and they made you wear it, I, I'm not going to cause a scene. Let's just, <laughs> you know, path of least resistance. It's not like it's going to kill me to wear a mask for one hour uh, right. or, you know, the different situations like that. Uh, so, you know, or if I didn't wear one and then some manager at a store came up and said, you, you really need to put this on, I might push back a little bit graciously, but I'm not going to cause a scene and get kicked out. Let's just, you know, be choose your battles is the idea, right? Right, because we're here to represent the cause of Christ, right? Not necessarily the cause of masklessness or maskness, you know. And, right. and that, to me, is a very important distinction because I, I think we uh, responded to that situation quite similarly. I mean, again, if I was uh, once, it, once the insanity calmed down enough that I could go visit people and the congregants, people in my church in the hospital, you bet I put on a mask. I'm not going to sit there and one, not visit the people for whom I'm spiritually responsible and whom I love to pray with them. And I'm also not going to, you know, cause some sort of horrifying scene over something that I would regard as important, but not essential. Now, that being said, we, we, as American citizens, as, as humans, it was important that we did make known right the 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 viewpoint that we had and the understanding of of the ridiculousness and the oppression that was going on in that um but like you said it's about choosing your battles about being wise as to what's going on you know in the in in our in our situation and i think that that finding that balance and i, I really appreciate your perspective that this is this is Probably in many issues, situations, an issue of conscience, isn't it? It's an opportunity for all of us to represent what we're, we're sorry, examine and think and study what we know, what information we can get, and then prayerfully before the Lord make a decision that is most honoring to Him based upon the information that we have. Yeah, and and not to open up too much of a can of worms, but you know there are other issues that I think are more serious. And that you really, you know, would never want to compromise on. And for me and my family, after doing the research, one of those was, you know, the the so-called vaccine. Uh, you know, there was health reasons and dangerous reasons, as has now been proven obvious, and the government's even come out and admitted it, why I didn't think anyone should take it. So I would draw my line in the sand on that. I respect those who took a different opinion. Uh, I understand that, you know, that they have to make their own decisions. But for me, I would have rather died than take that shot. I mean, I would go to prison before I would take that shot. Um, and I did a, a podcast way back during the height of the pandemic on, uh, do I think Christians should take the shot? And I, it was, you know, it was pretty well received over the, over the, you know, lifetime of that podcast. And it was pretty strong. I mean, I went through every conceivable scenario people can could come up with, but what about this? Or what about that? Or what if this, or what if that? And, and the answer was the same, because to me, it was a principled decision. And that's the nice thing about principles. Once you determine them, it gives you a, a kind of a, a line in the sand and you can stand firm and you don't, you know, it's not always easy to do the right thing, but once you know what the right thing is, then that's half the battle, right? Exactly. With a mask, we're not dealing with a moral issue here, right? So I'm not going to, I'm not going to poke the bear on that one, you know? Mm. But I'm one being very much in agreement with your perspective on the distinction between the max mask and the vaccination uh, situation. To me, the thing that I always thought was pretty amazing is that nobody trusts big pharma, right? right? I mean, Prior to that whole situation, we were all like frustrated with Big Pharma dumping opioids on everybody and frustrated with Big Pharma for prescribing a new pill for every, and coming up with a new pill for every, you know, possible. And we just, we knew there's too much money passing through those hands. It's just not a trustworthy, uh, trustworthy, you know, organization. And then all of a sudden, everybody's immediately throwing an untested, shot into their body. I mean, just from a human perspective, regardless of anything else, there's an insanity to that. Yeah. I, I showed a cartoon uh, Tuesday night at Prophecy Night. And by the way, if folks have not watched that video, I encourage you to go back and watch the, the video on the uh, rising number of world organizations as a sign of the times. But at the beginning, mm -hmm. I typically will show some funny cartoon or meme or something. And I showed one that showed a person interacting with the, the stereotypical devil. I mean, the red suit, the pitchfork, the horns, the tail and all that. And they said, you know, no, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. And then in the next panel, it's the same lady, but the same devil picture has a white lab coat on and a doctor's stethoscope. And they go, <laughs> uh, I trust everything you say. say you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like you put on a doctor's lab coat and suddenly, you know, you know you're trustworthy. So, yeah. Anyway. yeah. And that's, I mean, to me, that's, this is, that was, that was, 
was the insanity that I saw in the whole thing. Like it's just something completely, uh, or sorry, not completely, mostly untested and certainly not tested over time because there was no time to have tested it. Right. And just going, we know that every we, anything that you put might work for one person and another person's biochemistry has another issue. So I have absolute respect for people who, you know, especially people who felt that they were compromised and they were hedging their bets. They were making yeah. a guess like, well, I'm more likely to die of COVID then. So I'm going to take this risk. Right. And for me and my family, we're all in a position where we had a far, what I viewed as a far greater risk of uh, being negatively or adversely affected by the vaccine than by COVID. We had COVID. It was miserable, but we got through that, right? Yeah. Um, so so it was a known versus an unknown quantity. So anyway, just to say that it kind of leads well into that that third category that the world takes, which is the essentially hunker down, bunker up, you know, collect as many guns as you can and get ready for your, you know, remember the Alamo moment of yeah. you know, against the government. And uh, I, I'd want to start by saying that there is wisdom in having the ability and taking advantage of protecting your, yourself and your family. There'll be so many people say, you know, why have this or that protective measure in your house? You know, can't we just trust the Lord and say, okay, do you leave your doors unlocked? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're already taking some measure. In fact, do you leave your doors closed? Why not just leave them open, yeah. right? Just leave everything open. Absolutely. Yeah. Leave the keys in your car. You don't do that, right? You take a certain amount of responsibility. And 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 it's interesting. It's kind of like when you're driving on the freeway, right? Isn't it amazing how when you're driving on the freeway, everyone who's going slower than you is an idiot and everyone who's going faster than you is a maniac, right? <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who's a step in front of you or a step behind you takes a little bit more protection or caution. We think, oh, that guy's a maniac. I and mean, everyone takes less precaution. We think they're a fool. Um, but we should have the wisdom to protect ourselves and our family. Um, wouldn't you, would you agree with that? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think it's a it's a biblical mandate. It goes to the sanctity of life, and mm -hmm. uh, if you understand the value of life, and when capital punishment was uh, first put in place, going all the way back to Genesis, and of course the law of self defense and all of that, and the Mosaic law, uh, it, it's critical. And and you know, uh, I, but I would say, as Randy has said on our show a few times. Uh, you'd, you'd also need to be trained and to know how to use a firearm, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's, you know, it's, they're, they're dangerous things. And, and, you know, uh, I, of course, grew up around guns and very comfortable around all kinds of guns, uh, uh, hunting and being, you know, involved with that. So, uh, but if you're not, you need to get trained first as well. By the way, talking about driving, uh, it reminds me of the the joke about the the dad who uh, the mom got sick one day. Or I'm sorry, the the dad usually takes the kid to school every day, but uh, the dad got sick, and so the mom had to fill in and drop the kid off at school. And when they got to the school, the kid says to the mom, "Mom, thanks for the ride, but where were all the idiots today on the road? I, I didn't see a single one." <laughs> so, yeah, kids are listening, right? Kids That's are listening. right. <laughs> but well, yes, we should defend ourselves for sure. Certainly. And yet th there's also that foolishness that comes with that is mistaking this small B battle, right? For the greater spiritual battle, right? So we 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 think that all of a sudden it's it's taking on the US government as if the US government meant anything. I mean, it's just a part of Satan's larger scheme as he's using, as he's manipulating it, right? So we can turn this into one big, like, oh, we've identified, and this is what the world does, right? It identifies, you know, the, the conspiracy is, again, something just in the U.S. government or just in whatever, wherever that's at. And um, that that misses the point, right, of the greater uh, reality of the spiritual battle that's going on. And I think this can even bring us to a place of... Uh, of, of of rage, of a desire to almost be violent towards others. And that's not our desire, right? Romans 12, 17 through 21 gives us a really great picture of how we're uh, meant to at least hope to hopefully respond is repay no one evil for evil. And I think that we can appeal to that same uh, definition of evil that you pointed out. It's evil of doing doing harm, having regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it, poss if it is possible, important words, as much as it depends on you, important words, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not become, uh, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
And this idea of non-retaliation is oftentimes, I think, confused with the idea of forbidding self-defense. But that's not at all what it means, right? Certainly, again, if at some point someone is breaking into your home or trying to do your physical harm, it is no longer possible to live at peace with them. And so the answer isn't just, you know, roll over and let them kill you or whatever else is going on. However, at the same time, you know, neutralizing that threat is to the best of your ability without any desire for vengeance, without any desire for retaliatory attack, right? So your point is to drive off the, uh, drive off the attack and, or, or, or be wise, not going out looking for trouble as you, you so well pointed out. So this idea, right, of, of having a non-retaliatory attitude, because if someone breaks into my house, presuming they don't know Christ, my part of my thought is certainly that I want them to know Christ. I want them to be saved. Part of my thought also is that I have a stewardship to defend my family, right? And that takes precedence over, you know, in that sense. But if there's any way to to neutralize that situation so that we can show him mercy, right? That's a that's a better, that's a best case scenario. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we want uh, shooting an intruder to be an absolute last resort. Um, but, you know, at the same time, if, if it comes down to his life or yours or his life or your family's life or your wife or your children, then we have a duty to do that. But uh, so these things are not mutually exclusive, the idea of loving your enemy uh, and yet, you know, defending yourself. I, I talked about this a little bit Sunday in my series through Nehemiah, the distinction between or the correlation between imprecatory prayers and loving your neighbor and you know doing good to those who hurt you and all that um it comes down to the attitude and you said it so well it's it's an attitude of vengeance belongs to the lord let god do what god wants to do but at the same time uh you know if someone is harming you there's nothing wrong with praying and asking god god go get them you know rain down hellfire and brimstone on them because they're hurting my family, which is hurting you. It's, it's you know, hurting the cause of Christ. And so, yeah, I mean, this, uh, this idea, I think you've balanced it well, uh, you know, and, and kind of expressed uh, this distinction between the wisdom of protecting your family, but yet the foolishness of just going off half cocked and trying to, you know, take over the, the, the you know, the world. And, and, and you're, you're, another thing you said that I thought was very insightful here a second ago was this notion that, a lot of people understand now, even unbelievers, that something is amiss. I mean, there's something wrong in this world over the last three years. I mean, it is changing. The norms are changing, and it's not good. And uh, and but different people, you know, are they they really resonate or focus on a different parts. For some people, it's the Republicans versus the Democrats. You know, for some people, it's right. the, you know, communism versus, you know, capitalism and, you know, this and that. And, you know, I think people, when they when they kind of get backed into a corner on their issue, whatever it is, then they'll come out fighting. And we need to, first of all, take a step back and recognize, as you so well said, the big picture that this is ultimately a Luciferian conspiracy. Mm -hmm. uh, and these other side issues are just sort of pawns in the game. Uh, but secondly, because it is ultimately a spiritual battle, let's come at it with spiritual wisdom. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, I really was excited as we talked about and, and dreamed up this topic uh, for discussion it, it is how do we as Christians respond to the situation with a government, particularly as you so well highlighted in your great uh, talk, red, uh, red, White and Bad, uh, as we see the potential, if not the reality of our own government becoming an adversary to us. Um, and so the, the passages that always come up in this situation, I think, are oftentimes uh, mis misread and misinterpreted. In fact, certainly are. Uh, but Romans 13, 1 through 5 and 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17. Uh, so I'll read Romans 13, 1 through 5. It says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. But you do, do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister to an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. So here is a what is often used as a proof text to say, hey, whatever. if the government says you should 
should vax, you should vax. If the government says mask, you should mask. If the government says, you know, whatever else, uh, in fact, going forward, right? If the government says that you, uh, your church has to marry homosexual people, if the government says, then you do what the government says. And um, it's a really flawed approach to this. Uh, and really, I think you have a, a unique and, and compelling take on these verses. I would love to uh, just hand off to you and get your yeah, so we've talked about this quite a bit uh, recently. Uh, I have a podcast specifically entitled, Does Romans 13 Teach We Must Obey the Government at All Costs? Uh, most people come to this passage and they take the simplistic or reductive view that, you know, as long as the government is not mandating sin, you have to obey them. And that's just not what this text says or anywhere else in the Bible. And understanding God's divine design in terms of orders of relationship uh, and stewardships is critical. God always comes first, then family, then government. And uh, first of all, Romans 13, which you just read, does not say obey. The word obey is not found anywhere in there. It's the word submit. It's the Greek word hupotasso. And uh, if we're going to take that rigid view, then why don't we take that with all the other passages that use the word submit as imperative? <laughs> like, you know, submit to the ministry of Christ. Submit to one another, Ephesians 5.21. Wives, submit to your husbands. So unless that husband is you know, forcing you to sin, you've got to do whatever he says, you know, <laughs> honey, bring me my coffee. Hum, get me my slippers, honey. I'm going to buy a new sports car. I'm going to go into debt. I'm going to buy a new house. I'm going to uh, put the kids up for adoption. I mean, those are all, <laughs> oh you know, you got to do it right. Submit yeah. or, says, you know, submit to, you know, submit to, uh, want to submit yourselves to the elders. First Peter five, five, mm -hmm. we have to do whatever our elders say, no matter what, of course not. So it, it has to do with, their perspective, and we don't have time to dissect Romans 13 in detail, but the bottom line is, to the extent that the government is properly acting as God's divinely ordained agent, then yeah, we we, we ought to submit to them. Uh, they're functioning properly. But does that mean that people in China or North Korea or Iran have to do whatever those dictators say? Those are governments, right? So we have this sort of American exceptionalist understanding of democracy and capitalism and think that, you know, you know, God is somehow chosen America as the chosen nation uh, as the model. But our government is, is uh, while it's the best government man has come up with so far, a democratic republic, it's certainly made up of flawed people. And uh, we're not obligated to do whatever the government says. And especially these days when the Luciferian elite have taken over our government, uh, we're not obligated to do that. Now, having said that, I always like to point out, if you choose to resist the government, uh, which is certainly your prerogative, and I think we, we should do more of that, you might have to suffer some consequences, right? Um, you know, I, I'm not saying, you know, that God's going to somehow let you off the hook if you choose to not do what the government says. You may face fines or imprisonment or whatever it may be. Uh, we're not promised uh, that life's going to be a bed of roses. But yeah, the simplistic view that you've got to just do whatever the government says is is both unbiblical and, and unwise. Mm. Well, and it also, I think, betrays a continuing error that has cropped up through church history with this re uh, replacement theology and the idea that the kingdom is now, right? So yeah. this gives us that idea that somehow success is going to be uh, found by overthrowing the government or by, you know, installing a Christian government, and that's going to make everything better. Well, newsflash, right? We had at least nominally Christian governments, I'm making quotes, Christian governments throughout most of modern European history, and it really didn't do a lot of great. You know what I mean? It wasn't very successful. Why? Because Christ ultimately is coming to set up his kingdom. That's the kingdom. Yeah. That's what we're looking forward to. So by all this, by by putting all of our energy towards either fighting a government or replacing a government or trying to create a government, we are essentially surrendering on our true calling, which is to make disciples, to share the gospel, to build up the church, right? So it's pretty sad to me if I if I were to see Christians who were obsessed with or even putting the primary amount of their energy towards opposition of some human government rather than uh, essentially treating it like what it is, hopefully there to, to maintain enough peace and freedom that we can go about our work of building up others for Christ, of, of making good of the time, knowing that we're not going to make a utopia. We're not going to make a perfect time or place or even a, a more perfect nation on this earth. We are going to await his coming, right? As you opened our, our wonderful time together 
with, you know, we're to wait on the Lord, to be strong, take heart, and to wait on the Lord, to go about the business of sharing his gospel, the truth of his word, encouraging the saints, edifying the church. And if we're putting all of our energy towards opposing a human government, I think we're missing something. Yeah. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, extremely well said. I hope folks will go back and replay that last two minutes of what Brad just said. It's it's vital. Um, I, you know, I don't go out throughout my day thinking about the government, honestly. I just, I mean, when it comes up, I I try to seek the Lord, do what's right, and you know, hopefully that's not going to get me in jail. But I, um, to me, I follow the the spirit of God who's, you know, the law written in our hearts, not some man-made construction. Uh, what Paul was talking about in Romans 13 is that God uses human government. We're living in an age of divine nationalism where God intends for there to be national sovereignty in different governments, and they do serve a purpose. And if they're functioning properly, they serve a good purpose. Um, but, you know, I don't, you know, I don't not, let's just say, like paying taxes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't pay my taxes because it's a moral issue. I pay my taxes because I don't want to go to jail. Right. And, and I don't think it's constitutional, by the way, taxation without representation. I think it's wrong. But I'm not such a fool that, you know, I'm going to make a stand on this and end up in jail. Then I can't provide for my family. I can't do the work of the ministry here with not by works. Uh, I mean, not that you can't do that in jail, but there's no reason to do that, right? So mm-hmm. I pay my taxes. But unfortunately, there are a lot of people that think that, the government is the moral code and the spiritual the spiritual right and wrong is dictated by what the government says and that is so easy to disprove theologically and it's also easy to disprove logically because these same people when you really start pointing out some of the inconsistencies you know uh they pay their taxes uh which then go to to pay for abortions Right. Right. Uh, so, you know, I, I think, you know, we have to choose wisely. Sometimes, you know, it's it's not easy to make the right choice. But, you know, if I didn't, I, I have always paid my taxes again, because I think it's wise. And and, you know, we do get something from that very less and less these days. But uh, we do get some benefits from the money we contribute to the co- the public coffers. Uh, but I, I don't do it because of some moral obligation. And uh, mm-hmm. so, yeah, well, this has been fantastic. Uh, so we've been talking about while we wait and uh, kind of wrap it up for us with uh, with kind of your closing thoughts here on what believers should be doing as we eagerly await the return of the Lord. Well, this is my advice for these days. And as we pointed out, at the at a moment's notice, this could all change, and we need, we could need to be uh, more circumspect and a little bit more cautious in terms of how we share. But here's my advice in today's in this moment: be bold. There's freedom now to speak about Christ. There, you you could have uh, hundreds of different platforms, not including and not limited to, uh, you know, your your social media presence and all these other things. Let that be a place where you speak up for Christ. If there does come to be uh, some sort of persecution for all the things that we've said, uh, please stand with me and be in that first line of people who are martyred for the faith. Mm-hmm. Know that we went down with uh, with the word the word of Christ on our lips. Again, I am not suggesting that we be foolish, but I am suggesting very much so that um, ultimately the worst thing that can happen is not being martyred for our faith. In fact, there's a crown associated with that, and I, I think we are meaningfully meant to be related to and looking forward to those rewards, and therefore, even should we face again, martyrdom, uh, we, we should look at that as a glory, just as the apostles looked at it as a glory to be able to be w- uh, counted worthy to suffer for the gospel. So in these times, when we have the freedom that we have, be bold. Be bold in your relationships with your friends, with your family, at your school board meetings, wherever it is. Speak the truth about Christ while we have the freedom in these waning days. Um, don't lose that opportunity because it won't last forever as a guarantee. Number two, be confident. No believer in human history has has had more confirmation and clarity surrounding the return of Christ. Things Mm -hmm. are dark. 
They might be scary, but we know that Christ is coming for his church in his time and that in the end, Jesus does win, that the, the Lord wins. So be confident in the fact that as we see the, the one world government approaching, as we see this technology, various technologies raising up or coming up that uh, will clearly contribute to the tribulation situation, to the rise of the Antichrist, we have more reason to trust that what the Bible has to say about the future is true than any previous generation. And and therefore, we can have all the more confidence that the gospel of grace is given or revealed in the word of God is worthy of being shared. Um, and finally, in relation to that, be clear. Don't miss an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the only way in which a person might be freed from this satanic deception fully. As we noted, people in the uh, worldlings, uh, non-believers, can see something of what's going on, but they can't contextualize it. They don't understand the larger scope. As, as you so well pointed out, JB, they don't see the satanic force behind it all. They just see the string or the puppets moving. They don't see the strings, right? Uh, so don't miss an opportunity, whether it's talking about about, uh, these kinds of issues or, or anything for that matter. Don't miss that opportunity to share the gospel because that's the only opportunity that someone has to miss the coming tribulation. That's the only opportunity that someone has to be free from satanic deception. That is the only opportunity that someone has to miss an eternity apart from God in hell. And it, uh, might I conclude with this by recommending your excellent book that everyone go out, get this book, read this book about the 10 reason people go to hell and the one reason no one has to. This is central to our goal, our purpose, our mission. And the one reason no one has to go to hell is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the son of God on the cross for our sins, that by trusting in his payment for our sins, we might have life eternal that we might be bought back and restored to our rightful place, our created place uh, before him in worshiping and glorifying him and all the future that's ahead. So thank you so much for having me on, JB. Oh, amen. Uh, man, praise God. I, you know, I love doing podcasts. I love, you know, talking with guests, but I got to tell you, this one today was one of my, one of my all time favorites. It just so brings together so many different aspects that we're passionate about here, not the least of which, of course, is the gospel. And so, yeah, that my book uh, from a few years ago, about three, maybe four years ago, it was right before the Spirit of the Antichrist series uh, called the, called Top 10 Reasons Some People Go to Hell and the One Reason No One Ever Has to. It's available at notbyworks.org slash store. Uh, and I didn't even know you were going to mention that, but yeah, it does, uh, it does address a lot of issues that keep people from accepting the free gift of eternal life. So thank you so much. Uh, been talking to Dr. Brad Maston about while we wait, and I hope you'll spread this podcast far and wide, send links of it uh, to others. It's got a lot of meat, a lot of different topics that we touched on uh, and thoroughly saturated with the Word of God. So uh, Brad, we'll have you on again. We'll connect offline and pick a date uh, and a, a, a calendar time that works for both of us, but be thinking about another a topic. It's going to be tough to beat that one. You, you set the bar pretty high. So, but uh, anyway, thanks for being with us. To the rest of you, thanks again for joining us. Don't forget uh, tomorrow, uh, we've got uh, my technologist Shane on talking about the snowballing nature of artificial intelligence. And he's going to give us an update on AI. Uh, and then, of course, Saturday, we've got Randy back on for our preparedness series to talk about how to prepare for civil unrest. But until then, God bless you, everyone. Have a great rest of the day.